Hello, and welcome to episode 6 of the Pharma Forum podcast. My name is Dominic Tai, and I'm Pharma Forum's Creative Director. For this first episode of 2019, I spoke with Professor Brian D. Smith, who is a leading authority on the evolution of the life sciences industry, with a 40-year career that has seen him move from research to marketing to academia. We talked about his fascinating work on pharma's DNA and evolutionary trends within the industry before drilling down into what makes a modern and successful medical marketing team and how his DNA analogies can be applied within this area. You can find more details of this episode, including a download link for the podcast and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. The podcast is also available on iTunes, where you can find and subscribe to it by searching for Pharma Forum. So I'd like to welcome uh, to the Pharma Forum uh, podcast, Professor Brian D. Smith. He's a leading authority on the evolution of the life sciences industry, a 40-year veteran of the sector, and has published over 300 books, papers and articles on the topic, which include The Future of Pharma, Darwin's Medicine and Brand Therapy. Over his, uh, the course of his career to date, uh, it's a journey that's uh, begun with him as a research chemist, moved on to roles as head of marketing, and then to an academic career that in- has encompassed a PhD on strategy effectiveness in the life sciences industry. So, Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, John. So, I wonder if we could start with... Uh, well, it's quite quite a career, of course. You've you've already built, but um, uh, uh, so far, can you tell us a bit about your your current role? What uh, and what keeps you busy on on a day to day basis? Okay, I spend about three quarters of my time researching and writing about the evolution of the pharma and the tech sectors. Um, I'm very specialised, very geeky. I only concern myself with those sectors, not any others, and I do that at two universities at the University of Hertfordshire in the UK. I have a, a research group of PhD students. I believe it's the only uh, research group in the world that is focusing on the evolution of the industry. And um, at Bocconi University in Milan, um, I also work with a group there which is specialised on, on the evolution of the, health, the healthcare system and, and the industry associated with it. And in, in terms of your, your work on the evolution of the, uh, the life sciences industry and how it touches on, on concepts of, of DNA, could you, could you tell us a bit about, about that and what, what's the, thing, the, the central uh, thrust of your work on, on well, farmers' DNA? I think the key point to get is that when I use the word evolution, I mean it in the Darwinian scientific sense. You'll be aware, of course, that often when we use the word evolution in, in common parlance, we simply mean slow, gradual change. Whereas in a Darwinian sense, it has this particular mechanism of variation and amplification and selection by the natural environment. So um, my work is concerned with the application of Darwinian science to the evolution of the industry. The basic premise is that Darwinian evolution is an explanation not just of biological systems, but of any complex adaptive system. And of course, industries are complex adaptive systems, the pharmaceutical industry in particular. So we can use the underlying science there to explain um, the way that industry is evolving. So in my work, um, business models are the equivalent of species, and that cascades all the way down until the equivalent of 
DNA is something that they could have been genes or, or things called organizational genes, the little sub-processes that organizations have for doing things and how they vary and how they then manifest themselves as, um, as organizational capabilities and organizational traits like strategy and structure. That's the, the work that I concern myself with. Mm-hmm. And uh, from the point of view of that, that work and um, your observe, um, observations on, on the industry itself, how, how do you see the, the pharmaceutical industry evolving at the moment? Honestly, people who've read Darwin's Medicine will know that the, the single word answer is speciation. The industry is speciating into many different business models, 26 in fact I've identified in my research. So although we tend, you know, when we're at the, at the bar at a conference we talk about the industry or the industry business model, it only takes a few seconds thought to realise that that's actually quite a silly thing to say. I mean, if you compare oh, know, the likes of Roche, for example, with the Indian um, generic pharmaceutical manufacturers, there is no way that you would ever say that they were even similar business models. Um, so the, the big trend to be aware of in the industry is speciation of business models into multiple ways of creating value uh, for and for different audiences who define value in different ways. Um, so one of the takeaways from that, from the point of view of um, the, the pharmaceutical industry executives, is you can't simply look and see what other pharmaceutical companies are doing and, and copy them because they might be a different species of pharmaceutical company from you. You have to think about the way that you're intending to create value in the marketplace and who will define value in your marketplace and all of the uh, routines, processes, capabilities that are necessary in your particular ecological niche, as it was, as it were. And so, you, you, you've recently, of course, presented at the uh, Chartered Institute of Marketing in the UK. Um, you gave a talk on um, medical marketers' DNA. Could, could you tell uh, tell us a bit about uh, well, how does your work relate to successful medical marketing teams? Well, the, this presentation came out of. Uh, big piece of work I've been doing recently with lots of companies looking at effectively why some medical marketing teams are more effective than others, with a caveat of course that that doesn't mean the marketing department, you know, medical marketing teams in pharma and medtech companies are much wider than simply the marketing department, you know, that include market access, medical affairs, you know, and many other um, functional roles. But what I was doing was looking at the way that these different teams vary in their effectiveness. Some of them are, some, you know, as I, I joke in the presentation, some of them are, have superpowers and some of them are much less effective. Um, and where that tracks down to is, is these, um, the processes that they use, and the processes that they use are underpinned by their capabilities. Their capabilities are underpinned underpinned by these things called organizational routines, these little micro sub-processes. And these organizational routines are enabled by what are called micro-foundations that are, if you like, the analog of a base pair sequence in, in biological DNA. So my work drills all the way down to what are the micro-foundations and routines of effective medical marketing teams versus those that are less effective. 
And in terms of uh, something like a, a micro foundation, could, can you give us an, a, a, some examples of, of what, what, those, what those might be? It probably makes more sense to, to drill down from the top rather than go straight to the bottom. So if you imagine if I said to uh, uh, a pharmaceutical company, what is a, an effective medical marketing team? What does it need to do? What is it there for? Um, well, you, you could give a very long answer, but the, the short answer is that it's there to do three things. It's there to understand the market situation. It's there to understand, to, to make, use that understanding of the market situation to make a strong strategy and to execute it. And it's there to work cross-functionally across all these functional barriers to enable that to happen. So there's three processes, if you like, process for understanding the situation, process for making and executing strategy, and a process for working cross-functionally. And they, to stick to my biological uh, analog, you know, they are, if you like, equivalent of three biological processes. Um, now, each of those processes is made possible by a number of capabilities. Um, in the same way that biological processes are enabled by a set of proteins. Um, so if I took, for example, the process for working cross-functionally, then you need capabilities to gain commitment to common goals, to pool diverse knowledge, to create consensus rather than just compromise, and to, in particular, to differentiate between satisfying, i.e. delivering what you're supposed to be delivering, rather than satisficing, which um, it's, a, it's a term organizational scientists use, but satisficing it will be familiar to listeners of this podcast as tick boxing, you know, just getting it off your desk, ticking the box, I've done that even though I haven't actually done a great job, I've just got it off my desk. So those four capabilities are necessary to work cross-functionally. So each of those capabilities is underpinned by a set of regimes. Now, there's about five involved there. Um, but if I take, for example, the capability to pool diverse knowledge, you know, the whole point of working cross-functionally is you've got all this expertise in different functions and you need to pool the knowledge. Well, there are a set of routines that, that underpin that. Um, and if I drill down to the routines underneath that, each routine is underpinned by a set of these things called micro-foundations. So, um, micro-foundations fall into four categories, and usefully, in, in, in my book, I divide them these four categories that begin with A, C, T, and G, because, of course, what I'm trying to do is draw the analogy with, with base pairs. So, the micro-foundations that make an effective marketing, medical marketing teamwork are the attributes of the individuals, um, the conflict management methods, the, that is the methods used to resolve disagreement within the team, the group processes, the processes that go on within the team, and the team structures, which includes both who is in the team and how it is connected to other teams. So those four things are what underpin the effectiveness of team. Would you like me to elaborate on particular examples of those? Uh, yes, please, if you, if you could. Well, you know, if I take that, for example, if I take this... Um, routine for pooling of diverse knowledge. So anybody who's worked in a medical marketing team knows that around the table you have this fabulous 
expertise and very rarely is the problem that you don't have the knowledge or expertise. The problem is knitting it all together to deliver what the brand team needs to deliver. I mean, you know, it's everybody's brought their own piece of the jigsaw. So, what are the micro foundations that allow that to happen, for example? And obviously, there will be different micro foundations for different routines and for different capabilities. So, the, the most common ones we see there, for instance, is that the individuals in the team, if you're trying to pool diverse knowledge, have to be able to differentiate between what is data, what is information, what is knowledge, and what is insight. Now, in, in excellent teams, you see them, them using those words meaning separate things. And I've written elsewhere on, on what those meanings are. Mm -hmm. um, but in less effective teams, you hear them use the words data, information, knowledge, insight, as if they all meant the same thing. So that, you know, that hinders their ability. Just you know, in the same way that you know, an R&D team couldn't function very well if, it, if people didn't really differentiate between what molecules, atoms, and ions were, for example, you, know, you need to have a, a common language. The second category is conflict measurement um, management methods. One of the um, methods that effective teams have is that they have very good ways of criticizing ideas without criticizing the people. and the work that you've done that you must see a lot of variation, a lot of variability in, in terms of the um, medical marketing teams. Do you see many that, are, that you would consider to, at the moment to be truly successful in, in, in terms of what they do? No, 
is the short answer and the question so and, and there's, a, there's an evolutionary reason for that you know it's um, if, if you accept the premise that the industry is a complex adaptive system that is evolving and you see traits that are strong when the environment requires them to be strong um, so, for instance, you very rarely find a pharmaceutical company that is weak at regulatory submissions because, of course, the evolutionary pressure is that if they were weak at regulatory submissions, they wouldn't last very long, would they? They'd die. Mm -hmm. um, so, medical marketing is a, is a slightly different thing. You see, the industry historically has never needed to be very strong at medical marketing. I mean, I'm talking, you know, the I'm talking in a time scale of decades now. So until, you know, relatively recently, until, you know, 10, 10 years ago or so, um, the industry was very innovative and produced these fabulously innovative solutions that were always a, you know, step change, a step ahead significantly better than what went before. Now, in that environment, all that the marketing team needs to do is to tell the customer about it. You know, we've got this fantastic new thing. It is clearly much better than what you were doing before. And in an environment, of course, where the prescriber was allowed to make the decision, then actually, the, as heretical as this may sound, historically, the job of medical marketing was not that difficult. They had to get all the dot all the I's and cross all the T's. But basically, it wasn't that hard to market a product which is a fabulous step forward clinically when the prescribers made the decision. Now fast forward that to today, of course, and anybody who works in a brand team now will recognize that as a historical environment. You know, it's now very difficult to invent and it's very rare to have therapies that are really substantial steps forward in meeting the clinical needs that, if you like, sell themselves. And of course, the, the environment for getting them accepted is much more complex than just talking to the prescriber now. So, put those things together and medical marketing now needs to be much more effective in, in the sense of it adds, needs to add much more value to the company's value chain than historically they've needed to. So, I want to express that in evolutionary terms, there was not, there was only a low evolutionary pressure, selection pressure for medical marketing to be excellent in the past. In, present and in the future, there will be very strong selection pressure for medical marketing to be very effective. Now, that explains why relatively few um, medical marketing teams are very good at these things and the majority are much more mediocre. And so, given that, that uh, background of um, increasing pressure on medical marketing teams to be, to be, much, more, uh, to be much more successful, um, what do you think? What would you say that um, it, it is that, that uh, medical marketing teams need, need to do to, to be more successful? Well, this takes me back to the question you asked right at the, at the, at the head of the, the discussion of, um, you know, how is the industry changing? And I talked about it speciating into multiple business models. There is no uh, single, if you like, genetic modification that will work across all business models to make them more effective. It's, um, we're talking, you know, when we're talking about the different types of companies in the industry, we're quite often talking about different business models, that is, different species. 
and therefore the solution for them is different. But there is, a, if you like, a, a generic formula that, that would guide the thinking. So if you're a, an executive thinking there, sitting there thinking, okay, how can I make my medical modeling teams more effective? What are my handful of steps towards that then? Then I'd offer the following. That the first thing is that you need to sit down and consider your business model and your situation and your strategic context and think, okay, so what traits of my medical marketing team do I um, want to improve the most? Is it, is it most important to me that the traits are excellent? Uh, they might be in traits in understanding the market, there might be traits in making a strategy, there might be traits to do with executing the strategy, there might be traits to do with working cross-functionally or, or something else. But the traits that you need to uh, improve will differ between different situations. So if I was talking to 20 pharmaceutical companies, there might be 20 different traits that they need to, to improve. Having thought that through, though, in, in in terms that are specific to your strategic context, what traits do I need to improve? Then the next question is, so what processes would we need to improve to deliver those traits? Then, if we've identified the processes that we need to improve, what capabilities do we need to strengthen to enable those processes? Then drilling down the next step further, well, if we need to improve these capabilities, what organization routines would need to work well in order to make those capabilities work? And then having identified the necessary organization routines, what micro-foundations do you need to build, improve, enhance in order to make the routines work, which would make the capabilities work, which would make the processes work, which would give you the effectiveness traits that you were looking for? So it's a, it's a layered approach and you'd have to drill down to each one. And that, in that explanation is, is part of the explanation for why so few companies manage this well. Because of course, what most companies do is they say, okay, we need to be good at oh, no, um, analyzing market trends, for example. So they will simply do a training program. And, you know, lo and behold, a year later, they're trying another training program because it hasn't really worked, hasn't stuck. stuck. We're all familiar with situations where we go on a training program, we walk away with a dossier put on the shelf and it doesn't actually make much difference to our practice. Because they're effectively operating at a, at a superficial level. I, the metaphor that I use sometimes in my presentations to um, explain this is, you know, if you had a chimpanzee and you wanted him to be a business school professor, no amount of training would work. If you wanted it to, that chimpanzee to be able to stand up and walk and talk and you know, give presentations, then you would need to go in there and genetically modify it. You would go, you know, change his base-based sequence um, with CRISPR-Cas9 or viral vectors or something. And it's the same in a, in, a, in a medical marketing team. If you want to significantly change its traits to adapt to the changing market situation, the superficial training of the team more work. You would have to go through this five-stage process of understanding the traits, processes, capabilities, routines, and micro-foundations, and work at the level of the micro-foundations and the routines in order to make a significant and lasting difference. Okay, well, 
Brian, thank you very much. I think that's, that's, a, re- that's a really uh, good place to leave it with uh, a phenomenal amount of um, food for thought in a very short space of time about uh, well, what, what can make a um, successful mod- modern medical marketing team within the pharmaceutical industry. So at that point, then we'll leave it. But um, Professor Brian D. Smith, thank you very much for joining the Pharma Forum podcast. Thank you very much for asking me. So we come to the end of another episode of the Pharma Forum podcast, which this time around featured Professor Brian D. Smith on successful medical marketing teams. You can find more details of this episode, including a download link for the podcast and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. The podcast is also available on iTunes, where you can find and subscribe to it by searching for Pharma Forum. And don't forget to visit our website to sign up for daily or weekly email pharmaceutical news and analysis bulletins. And follow us on Twitter, where we are at PharmaForum. So we'll see you next time.